We have a buzzard-driven show for you today. First buzzard writes in, What about your Eddie Lacy and Jordan Matthews calls, genius? <laughs> ah, yeah. Comma space genius. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. I appreciate that you think I'm so smart. You can also go to hell. It's December. It's too late to criticize those calls. Sorry. You have to criticize the process before the cards are turned over, not the results once the bad beats are revealed. Jordan Matthews in particular. Woo, that was a bad beat. The one bust this year that I absolutely could not possibly have comprehended four months ago. Ooh, that was a bad beat. Also, I was thinking about this. Being right in redraft matters a lot less to me than being right in dynasty. Because in any given year, the Houston Texans can shock everyone and lead the league in pass attempts. The Houston Texans leading the league in pass attempts. Who would have thought that was possible? Nobody had that. Meanwhile, the Eagles suddenly have one of the least efficient offenses. Who would have called that? Nobody. And then Des Bryant goes out, loses his quarterback, and breaks his foot within a 10-day span. Very unlucky. This is redraft. This is life in a single season. It's what happens. Hashtag fantasy life. Credit to Matthew Barry from ESPN for that one. Fantasy life, yeah. yeah. That's fantasy life. In redraft, one season to decide it all. You never know what can happen. I'm in a league where I happily went Dez in the first round, Jordy Nelson in the second round, Randall Cobb in the third round. <laughs> Whoops! It's like, what the hell? Zero RB was supposed to be a good strategy this year, but I picked the wrong receivers. Urgh, urgh, woe is me. Bad beat. Bad beat. But does that make me bad at fantasy football? Of course not. But that's why I like dynasty leagues in terms of zooming out and analyzing someone's prognostications about players. Because in Dynasty, you get a player's full career as a sample size. And that helps to factor out the year-to-year -year randomness. But if we go back, what was the crux of my Jordan Matthews enthusiasm? And specifically, what piece of analysis did I offer about Jordan Matthews headed into the 2015 season? It was as follows. I said that Jordan Matthews is a far superior wide receiver to Nelson Aguilar. If you go back into the archives of this show, that was the focus of the analysis. And that specific analysis has actually proved to be right. Because Nelson Aguilar has been so bad. So irrelevant. He is proving to be one of the most embarrassing reaches in the first round that we've seen in recent times. And one of the reasons why you could look back at the Chip Kelly as GM of the Eagles era as a failure. Exhibit A, Nelson Aguilar. But other fantasy analysts were lauding Nelson Aguilar as a top five wide receiver in this class. And in Dynasty Leagues, I believe that those people will be proven very, 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 very wrong. And over the long run, I believe my enthusiasm about Jordan Matthews will be proven right. And I think those of you that listen to this show agree with me, and you trust me. But those that lurk around social media and think I'm a parody account and are essentially clueless wannabes who are too self-conscious to actually make strident contrarian stances, they're the ones that wander into a sports take, and then it's something utterly foolish like Greg Olson is a bad tight end 
buoyed by volume. <laughs> Ridiculous. Those are the people that are criticizing me, and that is fine. But I'm not going to get upset like yesterday's show. Yesterday's show, we did a lot of yelling. This is going to be a yelling-free zone. I promised myself today there would be no yelling. I wouldn't raise my voice. I wasn't going to get emotional in this show. Nice, calm, easy, speaking into a microphone, telling you what I think. Nice and even. So here we go. Another buzzard writes in. See? See how easy that is? Just move on to the next topic. <sighs> no rant. No, not going to get upset about it. Moving on to the next topic, yes. Relaxing show we have today. How are you? Good? Great. I'm good too. Great. Okay. So this buzzard writes in, has Spencer Ware played himself into a timeshare? <laughs> I mean, where have you been? Have you been exploring the galaxy? Welcome back to Earth! <laughs> like, what? Did I just raise my voice? I think I just raised my voice. Broken promises on Roto Underworld Radio. By the way, if you want me to read your question on air, go ahead and contact us at Roto Underworld on Twitter or Roto Underworld at gmail.com. <laughs> Nice and calm. Yeah, no raising of the voice. That's right. Nice, calm, and easy communication. But seriously, where have you been? Of course Spencer Ware has played himself into a timeshare. He did it three weeks ago. I mean, are you surprised that Spencer Ware could somehow, some way, crowd out touches from the almighty Sharkhandrick West? I just raised my voice again. I need to just... Never again promise the audience that I will not raise my voice because it's impossible. It is impossible. I can't go through a whole show without raising my voice. This was a futile exercise to go through a whole show without raising my voice. I couldn't even go five minutes, much less a whole show, without shouting to the world, Shock Hendrick West! He's so good! He's the almighty one! No, he's not. Shark Hendrick West is just a guy. He is just a guy. Go to playerprofiler.com. He's 5'10", 204. Bleh. Small. Bleh. Not blah. I mean, I don't mind small running backs, but he's not big. Okay, that's it. So 5'10", 204. Eh. He runs a 4.51. That's good. But when you look at it, size adjusted, the speed score, 98.6. Eh. Hey, really good burst score for Sharkhandrick West. 134.7, 96th percentile. But burst score for a running back is the least predictive of the workout metrics. Well, it's more predictive than bench press. And if you look at Sharkhandrick West's bench press, only 15 reps, 7th percentile. So he's weak, small, weak, not particularly fast, and not agile. 1148 agility score. If you look at Sharkhandrick West in terms of size-adjusted agility, we talked about Matt Jones earlier this week on the Football Diehards podcast. Great size-adjusted agility. Sharkhandrick West, league-bottom size-adjusted agility. So as an athlete, Sharkhandrick West is not impressive. In college, at Abilene Christian, a small school, 22.0%, 30th percentile dominator rating. At a small school, that is awful. Now, on a per-touch basis, very efficient. 6.8 yards per carry, wow. But he broke out at an old age, 21.3. He's already almost 25 years old. He has a below average spark score. So if you look at college production and efficiency, meh. Athleticism, meh. Size, meh. This is just a guy. That's what he is. Now, he's good in the receiving game. He's good at catching the ball out of the backfield. 
Yes, he is. He has that skill. He projects to be a passing down specialist in the NFL, not a bell cow. So when Spencer Ware comes along and Spencer Ware is 5'10", 229 and has a better agility score despite carrying around more than 20 more pounds, are you surprised that Spencer Ware would start to split touches with Sharkhandrick West? No, who would be surprised by that? Yet we get this question. Has Spencer Ware played himself into a timeshare? Uh, duh. <laughs> How were the planets in the solar system? How do they look on your trip home, sir? In case you haven't figured it out yet, Spencer Ware is now in a timeshare with Sharkhandrick West. Sharkhandrick West, just a guy who found himself in the ideal running back situation on a team where running backs score more than 70% of the team's touchdowns. Was any running back this year luckier than Sharkhandrick West? Jamal Charles out for the year. Niall Davis banished. Rises to the top of the depth chart on a team where 70% of the touchdowns are scored by running backs. Ding, 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 ding. Sharkhandrick West won the lottery this year. He won the running back lottery at the NFL level. Congratulations. And then Spencer Ware came along. I prefer Spencer Ware. In Dynasty, I would rather have Spencer Ware because I believe next year, once Jamal Charles returns, Spencer Ware has that skill set, that between the tackles grinder skill set, that Jamal Charles doesn't. And so I believe Spencer Ware will continue to have a short yardage role and a red zone role with the Kansas City Chiefs even next year with Jamal Charles on the roster. But because the things that Sharkhandrick West does well, Jamal Charles also does well, I don't see Sharkhandrick West having any role whatsoever next year. That's why I like Spencer Ware more in Dynasty right now. And in the long run, I just don't believe Sharkhandrick West is above average. So I don't see the incentive to carry him on my Dynasty League roster unless that roster is very deep. I would rather have a clear-minded, hard-working Joseph Randall on my squad than Sharkhandrick West. Easily! But unfortunately, Joseph Randall's mind is clearly not right. But Joseph Randall was the poster child of running backs who are just a guy this offseason. And I think Sharkhandrick West is in that category. But then I see all this confusion out there right now about Sharkhandrick West for week 14, week 15, week 16. Should we use Sharkhandrick West in the playoffs this year? Can he help our fantasy team win a championship? He has a great schedule. That's true. He does have a good schedule upcoming. And doesn't Andy Reid only use one running back? Doesn't he? Doesn't he? Well, he has in the past when those running backs were LaShawn McCoy, Brian Westbrook, and Jamal Charles. But Sharkhandrick West is not them. And if you believe that Andy Reid cannot possibly go with a running back by committee, that he is predisposed to always choose one running back, Andy Reid is hardwired to assign a running back with a bell cow role. There's absolutely no way that Andy Reid would ever install a running back committee on one of his teams. If you believe that, then you're a fool. And you have just fallen into one of those predictable correlation traps that overanalyze the impact of coaching. Most NFL coaches default to a committee of specialists at the running back position because most teams don't have a Jamal Charles or Adrian Peterson level talent on the roster. 
And right now, the Kansas City Chiefs do not have a Jamal Charles or Adrian Peterson-level talent on the roster. Andy Reid is being predictable and rational, moving to a Ware West running back committee, even if he's breaking your model because you confused correlation with causation. You broke my model, Andy Reid. I thought that you would always assign a bell cow. That is what you have done in the past, and that is what I assumed you would do in the future. My model can't compute the idea that Weston Ware would play in a committee. Model broken, model broken, model broken. Help, 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 help. <laughs> Voice cracking. <sighs> nice and calm. Not going to yell. No, not going to go on a rant about how fantasy analysts overvalue the impact of coaching. Not going to do it. Just going to move on to the next topic. <sighs> Buzzard writes in, hardest DFS decision all year, Tyrod Taylor or Ryan Fitzpatrick for $5,400 on DraftKings. That is the hardest decision I've seen all year. And I am going to punt. We hate it when head coaches punt. Choice to punt is usually the wrong decision. But in this particular case, I'm going to punt this question. We're going to punt this question forward to tomorrow's Die Hard show. And we are going to ask that question of Jonathan Bales. Jonathan Bales will be coming on the Football Die Hards podcast tomorrow. Go to iTunes, search for Die Hards Pod with Matt Kelly, and subscribe. And tomorrow we will ask Jonathan Bales the answer to, to this quandary because I don't have an answer. This is the hardest question I've received yet from a buzzard in my career doing this show. Tyrod Taylor, or Ryan Fitzpatrick for $5,400. They both have high floors. They both have high ceilings. We're projecting them to score the same number of points. I just don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen. They're the same price, the same projection, same range of outcomes. I don't know. We need to ask Jonathan Bales. We need to bring in an expert that's smarter than I am on these things. So tune in tomorrow to the Football Diehards podcast, and we will find out. We will have an answer for you. Now, another buzzard writes in. How much do you weight cornerback wide receiver assignments in your weekly rankings? Also, have you seen this Josh Norman guy? Wow. So the answer is we don't factor in the cornerback wide receiver matchups much in our rankings. I will get into that in a minute, exactly how much we do factor it in. And yes, I've seen this Josh Norman guy. Wow. Yeah, he's impressive. And this week, Josh Norman will be shadowing. <gasps> oh, no. Oh, no. 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 Julio Jones. No, please don't shadow him. <laughs> Let's take a step back and ask the question. Is shadowing Julio Jones necessarily a bad thing? And usually, I don't think it is. I think that there's a shadow fallacy out there. I think there's a lot of work being done unnecessarily, a lot of superfluous work on this notion of tracking cornerback wide receiver matchups and how much shadowing is going on. And one of the reasons why I believe it's superfluous to even track that information is because we already know using metrics like football outsiders, defense DVOA, and specifically the defense DVOA against opposing receivers. We already know how efficient defenses are against wide receivers. We already have this data. And the reason why certain defenses are particularly effective against opposing wide receivers is because those defenses have great cover corners like Josh Norman. So if you're already looking at the matchup data, if you're already looking at the fantasy points scored 
by wide receivers against Carolina, or you're looking at how effective Carolina is at stopping opposing wide receivers, if you're already looking at that data, also factoring in the idea that Josh Norman will be shadowing Julio Jones amounts to double counting. And when you double count input factors, it necessarily makes your rankings worse. We talked about this at length last week. And moreover, counterintuitively, shadowing a player of Julio Jones' ilk can actually be a good thing depending on the corner. Now, if he's a top three corner, if he's Josh Norman, if he's Richard Sherman, then the idea that he will get shadowed by one of those top three corners, that is a bad thing. That is worth investigating. That is a discounting factor. Absolutely. I mean, I don't, I don't believe that the data is worthless. We certainly use the data in certain specific situations, but to use it generally would be a mistake. Now take Vontae Davis. Vontae Davis is very much not Josh Norman and he's not Richard Sherman. Yet a few weeks back, analysts were discounting Julio Jones because he was to be shadowed by Vontae Davis. They enhanced their discount factor on Julio Jones when he was matching up with the Colts because of this quote-unquote shadow factor. And not only is discounting Julio Jones additionally above and beyond because he's being shadowed by Vontae Davis, not only is that wrong, it actually can help him that he's being shadowed by a sub-elite cornerback. Because when you're being shadowed by a sub-elite cornerback, what does that mean? It means you're not being bracketed. It means you're not being double-covered. Most wide receivers, if you ask them, what would you prefer? Would you rather be single-covered by a good but not great cornerback? Or would you rather be double-covered? Would you rather have a safety lurking over the top of you the entire game? And they would say, single-coverage, please. And that's what Julio Jones enjoyed against Vontae Davis when he had nine catches for 160 yards, 25 fantasy points, while being quote-unquote shadowed. Oops. Oops. Yeah, oops is right. Nine times out of ten, adding a shadow factor just distorts your projections because of the double counting that you're doing, and you're not accounting for the fact that maybe the idea that a player is being shadowed could help him not hurt the wide receiver. Regardless, if you're already factoring in opposing defensive efficiency versus the wide receiver into your rankings, also factoring in the individual cornerback's effectiveness is a distortion. It is. There are certain specific cases where that distortion can help you, but most of the time, it makes your rankings worse. It negatively impacts your projections in general. But information about cornerback assignments does exist. And in a handful of cases, I will say it is helpful. It's not irrelevant, but it is of marginal value. Times when it can be helpful, specifically when you're talking about the top two corners, the the corners that have great grades on pro football focus above and beyond the others. If you have a significant differential between you and the other cornerbacks on the list, if you're that good, if you're Deion Sanders good, if you're Darrell Rivas in his prime good, then we need to pay attention to those cornerbacks. The cornerbacks with the huge differential between them and the rest. Sometimes there's one, sometimes there's two, sometimes there's three uber elite corners that have established that wide margin, that huge differential between them and the rest. And when I say the rest, I mean guys like Vontae Davis. And right now we have two in the NFL, Richard Sherman and Josh Norman. 
Also, this idea that Richard Sherman just picks a side and he doesn't shadow receivers, that is a fallacy. That's just wrong. We've seen that proven over the course of the season as Richard Sherman has specifically shadowed Des Bryant and Antonio Brown and essentially shut both of them down. That's a huge accomplishment. Shutting down Des Bryant and Antonio Brown, hugely impressive. But Antonio Brown wasn't shut out. Antonio Brown still posted 10 plus fantasy points. And when Des Bryant faced Josh Norman, for example, he had a smooth touchdown. He was wide open down the sidelines and Tony Romo just threw the ball two yards out of bounds. That would have been a touchdown negated by Tony Romo. And that would have been another game in which an elite receiver like a Des Bryant scored more than 10 fantasy points against a Richard Sherman or a Josh Norman. That does happen. You can't just bench a receiver, one of the top receivers in the league. You can't just bench them because they're facing Josh Norman or Richard Sherman. You can't. You cannot bench elite receivers just because they're facing Sherman or Norman. Because we had another buzzard right in. Should I bench Julio Jones for Devontae Parker? Because Julio Jones is facing Josh Norman. Of course not! It doesn't matter what Devontae Parker's matchup is. There I go, yelling again. (laughs) What do you expect, buzzards? You ask me an asinine question like, should I bench Julio Jones for Devontae Parker? And what do you think's going to happen? Of course I'm going to yell! God! You high? What kind of question is that? That was a serious question. I came back at that guy and asked him again, are you serious or are you joking? He said, I'm serious. And I said, you're overthinking it. But you see this. You see analysts subtracting 10 points from their Julio Jones projection just because of Josh Norman. And I'm like, you know what? Richard Sherman was right about the hack analysts that follow sports. But you, When you see that, when you see people advocating benching Julio Jones because of Josh Norman, it makes me think of Richard Sherman's recent criticism of sports coverage. He said as follows. I mean, you hear idiots say a lot of stuff. People can't play. They don't play the game. They don't have talent. So they can sit there and say everything from a couch, from an armchair. But we all know what's good. We the players know what's good. We all know what it is as players when we see it, when we see good play. There's tremendous respect amongst the guys on the field. Their team had a great respect for me, and we had a great respect for their receiving core. And it's back and forth. As an aside, he's talking about the Steelers having respect for the Seahawks and vice versa in that case. You see people who've never played the game, who've never coached a game, who've never stepped foot on the football field, talk about how you're not going against smaller receivers. You can't cover smaller receivers. You can't call that, he said. You don't have enough knowledge. You don't have enough intimate details. You don't even know the game, Mr. Hack Sports Analyst. You have a very low football IQ, so it's tough to take those people seriously. But we went out there and we executed today. That's right. He's right. The people that are overthinking all this cloud of information that surrounds us, that are incorporating all this extra noise into their projection models, they're doing it wrong. And that's essentially what Richard Sherman just said. They are either overthinking it on one end or oversimplifying it on the other. It's one or the other. And that's what Richard Sherman's saying. And he's absolutely right because a lot of you do that. Most of the time, the shadow factor, quote unquote, is just noise. Look at week 11 as an example. DeAndre Hopkins versus Darrell Revis. Five catches, 118 yards, and two touchdowns. 
Look at Ronald Darby and Stephon Gilmore on the Bills. The best combined cornerback grade for two cornerbacks together on Pro Football Focus playing against Jeremy Macklin. Nine catches, 160 yards, and a touchdown Macklin put up against the Bills. Look at Brent Grimes on Brandon Marshall that week. Nine catches, 131 yards, and two touchdowns. Oh, but he was being shadowed! A.J. Green was being shadowed by Janoris Jenkins on the St. Louis Rams. A.J. Green posted 61 yards and two touchdowns. Oh, but 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 Malcolm Butler shut down Demarius Thomas that week. Uh, except that the team put Butler on Emmanuel Sanders, who had a game-winning explosive play, <laughs> which further proves my point that you can't use the cornerback wide receiver alignment as the crux of your reasoning for raising or lowering a projection significantly on a player that week. You don't even know which cornerback is necessarily going to match up with which receiver. The Patriots tricked you! And you may have been right anyway, but you were right for the wrong reasons. You were right because Demarius Thomas just isn't an efficient receiver this year. That's why. Well, Captain Munnerlyn throttled Julio Jones in Week 12, didn't he? Well, except that Xavier Rhodes, a cornerback ranked well outside the top 25 on Pro Football Focus, was actually matched up with Julio Jones more frequently in that game. So, and on and on and on and on. There's a lot of uncertainty surrounding which cornerbacks will match up with which receivers anyway. So, you're adding a lot of assumptions into a model that is incorporating double counting. And you wonder why your projections are so distorted and wrong. Reminds me of Silence of the Lambs. First, Clarice, simplicity. Just simplify your approach. When you have a super elite corner that is doing truly special things, Revis in his prime, Josh Norman now, yes, reduce your projection for Julio Jones when he faces Carolina. Understood. Reduce it by a nominal amount. Don't reduce it 10 points. Other than Norman and Sherman, the other time I would think about benching a player because of a cornerback matchup is when you have a true number one receiver who's not elite matched up with a top corner. Someone who's great, top 10, but not yet in that Richard Sherman, Josh Norman echelon. Think Revis, Matthew, Munnerlin, Jenkins. That's the only instance where I would do any additional opponent-based wide receiver adjustments because of the cornerback wide receiver matchup and the idea that that cornerback is projected to shadow that receiver. Think Sammy Watkins versus Revis two weeks ago, or more recently, Stephon Diggs versus Richard Sherman. That's a situation where you want to consider benching that player altogether. But again, these are one instance a week situations. One week, you consider doing it for Sammy Watkins. Another week, you consider doing it for Stephon Diggs. Another week, you consider lowering your Julio Jones projection a bit more than you otherwise would. We're talking one wide receiver a week. This is what I'm talking about when I say it matters on the margins. It has marginal utility. The occasional one-off adjustment. It's not something you want to build into a generalized model. My God, listen to Richard Sherman. Because now this week we have Allen Robinson being shadowed by Vontae Davis. Oh, and Allen Hearns is back too. Oh no, we need to reduce Allen Robinson's projected targets. Then we have to reduce his projection even further because he'll be shadowed by Vontae Davis. Get out of here! Should I bench Allen Robinson? Of course not! What are you talking about? The amount of shadow factor that I am subtracting from my Allen Robinson projection is equal to... Zero. 
Why? Because Vontae Davis is not Josh Norman. <laughs> God. Even when you think about Julio Jones versus Josh Norman, remember, all quarterbacks in the NFL now are throwing to covered receivers. It's more common to throw to a receiver that looks covered when you're watching the film than it is to see a quarterback throw to a wide open receiver. Receivers don't get wide open much in the NFL. Half the time, the cornerback is right on the receiver as the ball is arriving. But it's a back shoulder throw, or it's a fade, and the receiver is able to go up over the cornerback, or he's able to box out the cornerback, and sometimes even make a contested catch. That's the NFL that we live in now. There are a lot less wide open receivers. Think about Doro Green Beckham versus Revis this week. Just think about it conceptually. How can a 5'11 cornerback, Darrell Revis, stop an end zone fade or a back shoulder throw to Doriel Green Beckham? The answer is he can't. That's why I'm starting DGB regardless of whether Darrell Revis plays.